This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. And this is episode 117. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. This week, digital editor Alex chats to author Rachel Koo about her career, from her tiny Parisian flat where she recorded her TV show, My Little Paris Kitchen, to her new life in Stockholm and her latest book, The Little Swedish Kitchen. We hear about Swedish comfort food traditions and whether pan au chocolat or cinnamon buns get her vote these days. Then later on, editorial assistant Ellie chats to Shi Tang, chairwoman of the Chinese Food Festival, about regional Chinese delicacies, what goes into Jianbing, and which traders to look out for at the festival this year. Hi there, it's Alex here, and I'm with Rachel Koo, who many of you will recognise from her TV show, The Little Paris Kitchen, when Rachel would cook dishes using produce from the Parisian markets using only a tiny stove and no oven, is that correct? I had an oven. Oh, you had an I oven. I did have an it was Oh, one I was of a big fan, so I should know that. <laughs> small ones, yes. you know, like the countertop ones, basically. Oh, yes, yeah. okay. You so, can't fit a proper cake in there, or forget a turkey. All right, a chicken, yes. small chicken. A small Poussin. chicken, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So how did you come to have this TV show? That Because um, it was how long ago was it now? About 10 years? No, no, six years six it years. aired. So um, I moved to Paris in my mid-20s after working in fashion PR marketing. I studied at Le Cordon Bleu. Then um, I worked like in various like food-related jobs. I kind of met writers and that's how I got a cookbook deal. I wrote two cookbooks in French, French language cookbooks. Amazing. And then after doing that, I was like, I don't want to work with the French anymore. Sorry <laughs> if you're French. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, I wanted to write something in English, so I just pitched um, some... I just pitched to publishers in the UK, say, hi, my name's Rachel. I know you're really busy, but can I have a 10-minute meeting? Got a meeting with Penguin, and they really liked the Little Paris Kitchen idea. Mm -hmm. So that's how I started writing the Little Paris Kitchen. And at the same time, I'd previously done pop-up restaurants, and I thought, okay... I need to, like, cover my costs for recipe testing mm -hmm. and I don't want to waste food. Don't have a big space, but I have room for two people in my flat, in my studio flat. So that's how I came up with the, like, table for two in my yeah. home. And it's like a supper because there's so many of, yeah. so much of that now in London and everywhere. So it's kind of, you know, supper ahead club. of the wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, like, Tiny way before club. that. I was doing pop-up restaurants in Sydney, Melbourne, Buenos Aires, Berlin, Paris, wow. London... Like, this was eight years ago. Gosh. <laughs> um, so I was doing that, and then uh, I almost finished writing the cookbook, and I thought, you know, I think this would make a good TV show. Just round, went around the production companies in London saying, hi, my name's Rachel, doing this, blah, 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 what do you think? And I found a production company who got who I was and understood mm -hmm. how I need to be involved creatively. I don't want to change. Mm. Um, and we pitched it to the BBC. They commissioned a pilot and that's how I ended up on TV. Great. That's a very condensed, yes. <laughs> easy version. There was a lot of blood, sweat and tears involved. I can in imagine. That. Yeah. No, so, yeah. it was a lovely show. I used to make your lavender chicken. Oh, like the roast chicken. fantastic. Yeah, you used lavender honey, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the chicken is cut into pieces because it's the only way it would fit into my oven yes. <laughs> so now you're living in Stockholm mm. uh, in Sweden and you've just published a book called The Little Swedish Kitchen so is this the same concept do you have a tiny I can imagine you've got a bit of a bigger kitchen now it's slightly bigger <laughs> bigger it's a galley kitchen it's so Swedish it's Ikea oh, great. <laughs> we all love it like um and but the, I think the little concept for me is more about the approach to cooking so my mm -hmm. approach to cooking is you want to make things that people can cook at home mm -hmm. that are accessible and easy to do but still like the joy element the like the happiness you get from cooking and sharing food needs to be there yeah so yeah because um if anyone's had a gander on our website or listened to previous podcasts you'll know that olive is very big on sweden and we've been a lot like usually me which i'm very lucky to have that little label now um and um from like cinnamon buns in stockholm to magical dinner in the heart of the swedish forest which i'll tell you about later um so in your new book, you focus on the Swedish concept of lagom. Is that how you pronounce it? Don't ask me. My Swedish pronunciation <laughs> is so, so lagom. I mean, lagom. so lagom is an interesting Swedish word where there's no direct translation. But the concept is like something just right. Imagine mm -hmm. Goldilocks and that porridge. Yeah. It's just right. So something, when you say it's lagom, oh, it was, yeah, it was lagom. It was just... The right amount, you know, of this, the right amount of that is exactly, it ticks the boxes. Mm -hmm. So nothing like, oh, it's going to blow your mind, but nothing super awful. So the Largom is like, your lifestyle world is having that perfect balance of work and home life. Um, you wouldn't say it too much in terms of describing a dish, because if you say a dish mm. is lagom, then it's like, oh, you don't want to say that. But you could say like a restaurant or the whole experience was lagom. Right. In yeah. that sense. So, you know, or like the fact the Swedes, they love fika, which is the tradition of having coffee and bun, mm -hmm. uh, which is like between uh, breakfast and lunch or lunch or dinner. Um, but you have your fika, but then you balance that out with a bit, something a bit more wholesome. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it's kind of the whole, yeah, the whole experience. It's a bit like um, everyone was obsessed with Hugo last year. Yeah, Hugo's it's that more kind of concept. Isn't it's it? a bit different because Hugo's about that coziness. Yeah. Whereas Lagom is more about having that, you know, that balance in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, Hugo's about, you know, the that like cozying with Cozy candles and the fire moments. and a woolly cardigan and you know heartwarming food because the Swedes also have this thing called fredagsmus, which is excuse my pronunciation if you're Swedish. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it, it's great. It means Friday coziness. Oh So yes. you come home, you put your tracky bottoms on, you have like a real comfort meal, you put your favourite Netflix, uh, Netflix. 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 <laughs> What's Netflix? <laughs> it's this new thing we have in Sweden. Yeah, <laughs> you put your favourite Netflix, you know, box set on, so you kind of have that cosy Friday feeling, nice. which I love. Yeah. Is it true you have, traditionally, they had tacos on a Friday night? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So this is hilarious. So when I first moved to Sweden, uh, there were, there's so much you discover in a new culture. And for me, um, writing this cookbook was a great excuse to learn more about Swedish culture. It's the easiest way to get to know people. And I discovered in the 80s, um, tacos were heavily promoted by a food company. And the Swedes oh, loved it. Why? And they had this campaign about making, you know, Friday, Taco Friday. Yeah. So everybody does Taco Friday. <laughs> but the thing is, you have leftovers on Saturday, so you make a taco pie. Wow, okay. Or I, uh, I did this thing in the cookbook where I make this kind of taco pizza. So you cool. have like a taco spiced mint and tomato sauce you put on a pizza base and then you put lots of crunchy carrots and oh. avocado. So it's quite fresh and crunchy. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, a, it's taken from inspiration from Sweden, but I've put like my fresh and crunchy spin nice. on it. Yeah, great. So yeah, you've, um, obviously you've been, in Sweden for a while now and um you've been surrounded by these amazing ingredients for for a while um because it's quite unique the produce there isn't it what are your favorite ingredients to cook with you know there's all the berries mm. and amazing fish yeah so what's interesting about Sweden when I discovered the food because of the geographical location you're quite limited in terms of growing season right yes. which means it's very similar to the UK with the potatoes the root vegetables the cabbages um, the, the variety is not as big as like you have in France and Italy, which means you have to be more creative with the way you cook. And I mm. think that's a very modern approach to cooking. If you think you haven't got a lot, but you can still make delicious food. Yeah. Um, and like s simple things, you know, I mean, obviously you've got the foraging with the, the berries, like the lingonberries is probably one of the key flavors in Swedish food because mm. you always have like a lingonberry jam with meatballs or like with a meatloaf. So it's like the lingonberry jams, the pickled cucumbers, and then you have your mashed potatoes and a, and a brown gravy. Um, and that, those are like, that kind of acidity and tartness from the lingonberries is a bit like cranberries, but smaller. Mm. Um, so that is kind of a key flavor in Swedish food. Um, and then uh, I guess it's the pickling. Mm. You know, they pickle a lot of things. So you've got all the cucumbers. I do these pink pickled onions, mm. which I think you always have to have a jar in your fridge because it 
literally, if you've got like, I know, a stew or even a curry, which is a bit dull, you bung some of that and it lifts everything. Or a salad, which needs a little bit of, you know, a bit of a kick. That's great. Um, even a sandwich, like a cheese toasty. It's just a great thing to have. Mm. And the Swedes love putting it on hot dogs all you can imagine. Everything. <laughs> so it's a kind of good staple ingredient to have in your fridge. Um, and then and one of my favourite ingredients is very, it's quite expensive. Um, it's Carlix Lodrum. So Carlix is a place in the north of Sweden. Right. And it's famous for its caviar. So it's a particular caviar. But unlike the traditional caviar, which is very salty, this is quite sweet uh, it's, it's got very delicate taste. It's orange in colour. And the traditional way of eating it is with a nice dollop of creme fraiche, finely chopped red onion, finely chopped chives, and a piece of brioche fried in butter. Ooh. So if I'm ever in a restaurant, I order that. But um, if I have friends over and it's something special, then I make these uh, root vegetable crisps. And so it's like a bit like a posh uh, chips and dips. Mm, very <laughs> posh. Yeah, very posh, but it's quite nice to do something a little bit special. And the root uh, vegetable crisps, it's so colourful with the beetroots and the mm. carrots. And so, yeah. How are the, the veg, how's the veg different over there? Like, does it have a more like an earthy, t- I don't know, for, for me, I feel like it would have a really earthy taste, like really fresh and... Um, I guess the, the root vegetables are key. Mm. I mean, cabbage comes up a lot. Right. And actually, it's something I embraced in the cookbook because I often think cabbages are overlooked. You always think oh, soggy, boring cabbage. And I do this really simple recipe where you take a, uh, like a small wedge of cabbage, like a spring cabbage, you butter it, generally, a bit of sea salt, and you grill it so it goes charred and crispy nice. on the outside. And then I make a little um, uh, mustard vinaigrette, great little egg on top, some herbs, and it's a great little kind of warm, warmish salad. Mm. Um, and it's just to show people a humble cabbage can be something really delicious. Oh, yeah, Which I think the Swedes great. are really good at embracing the simple things Absolutely, and yeah. making it special. Yeah, because they've been, obviously, they have a lot to deal with, like the freezing, freezing cold <laughs> oh, winters. The winters, yeah. <laughs> As I, I imagine you want to come back here for winter, and that's saying something. Yes. <laughs> Actually, come March, I'm like, I come to London and it's like spring here. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I miss spring so yeah, much. Yeah, long, long cold yeah. winters. So, um, the Swedes have then developed this classic cuisine, which is very comforting, um, and with using these ingredients as well. So what, what are your favourite classic Swedish dishes? I'm thinking meatballs, but also, you know, the more... Unusual unique, ones? Yes. Yeah. So um, it's funny how meatballs, it's so known around the world, but it's so ingrained in Swedish culture. Mm. They already start eating meatballs as soon as you've got teeth. Like at kindergarten, (laughs) they have meatballs every week. Um, And then even the cantina work. And then at home, it's really part of Swedish culture. That's Um, good to know, isn't it? Because sometimes there's these cliches that are just not True. Yeah, yeah not true, but, exactly. Yeah. And it's something in the cookbook. So in the cookbook, I do a, a vegetarian one and all my Swede friends and relatives say, you have to do a traditional one. You cannot just have a vegetarian <laughs> one. So that's why there are two recipes in okay. the cookbook. So that's my disclaimer there. I was <laughs> we'll told. <laughs> I was told by the Swedes, you have to have. Um, yeah, there are lots of really lovely dishes in Swedish food. I mean, one of them is uh, Janssen's Temptation, uh, which is this like creamy potato bake with 
onions, so layers of onions, potatoes. And then they have these Swedish anchovies, which aren't actually anchovies, they're sprats. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of like brined in this sweet, tangy, spicy brine. So you layer them throughout the bake so it gets this lovely it's not too strong but it gets a little bit of spice in it um and then you have some breadcrumbs on the top um that's so comforting we had it as like post night out food at my cousin's wedding and like literally just eat it from the bowl it's like proper comfort food it is but you know what with a lovely green salad Oh, it's quite also quite you can like have it during the summer so mm. it's just about how you combine it so the traditional be, way would be like with you know some roast meat or a stew or something quite heavy mm. but I actually you know yeah, a green a salad idea. nice mustard dressing spot yeah. on oh yes definitely and have you got a recipe for that in your book I have I, okay. I throw in a few vegetables in mine so it's quite <laughs> colorful okay <laughs> um and any favourite Swedish bakes? Because I know you like yes. your baking. I love my baking. I mean, the Swedes love their buns. You yes. go to the corner shop, you go to the petrol station, you will find buns Good. there. <laughs> it's like, you, you, you know, if you're on a gluten-free diet, it's going to be hard for you. <laughs> Do they have gluten-free buns? Um, Is that hard to You make? will have to look really look hard for them. The supermarket have a gluten-free aisle, mm. but the Gluten-free buns are not right. So, yeah, it's it's tough. I'd stick with the breads then or the crackers. Yes. So the buns, like you've got the cinnamon bun, the cardamom bun, but also they do this bun um, just before Lent in February. So it's their version of Pancake Day. They have Bun Day. Great. And the bun they do is like, imagine a brioche, so soft and fluffy, spiked with a little cardamom. Then it's got like an almond paste at the bottom and then topped with this fluffy cloud of whipped cream. Oh, oh my God. And it, so if you, you, you eat it, it's just so messy. You've got to be like, it's a messy eat, but it's divine. And you only have it in February time. So you won't get it like the rest of the year, um, unless you make it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> And is it hard to make? No, it's no. not. It's like, you just need a good recipe, wink, wink. Ah, yes. <laughs> I know a book that has a recipe. <laughs> yeah, so they do love their baking. And that's one thing I really like about Sweden. They've got some amazing bakeries. Do they, um, do you have any of the Swedish, like the sponge cakes? Like, yeah, the princess torta, um, yeah. which is like... Uh, think of a glam version of Victoria Sponge. Okay. So you've got a really light genoise, Mm -hmm. and then traditionally you do a strawberry jam, but I do a more fruity compote in mine, a heap of whipped cream, and then you've got that sheet of bright green marzipan which is a bit crazy but I kind of like, I do just a very Stockholm white a marzipan. A Stockholm so, white. white. Stockholm white. So Sweden are known for their loving of their white colours. So, oh, right. Yeah. I mean, if you think of Swedish interiors, yeah. it's usually white, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I think of a Stockholm white that's quite a Yeah, you go to any to any co- of colour, like, I don't know, paint company, you'll find Stockholm white. Oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> wow, I learned something new. <laughs> um, also, so obviously this, we've been talking about fika, Um and uh, the Swedes, I know, are really big on their biscuits for fika. And mm. it's, um, I've heard that there's seven varieties that you should have ready for guests. That's like traditionally the 
the kind of benchmark. Yeah, is although I've <laughs> checked with some friends, it's like, yeah, if you're a granny. Yes, well, that's, that's kind of the thing, isn't it? So if you're it's a like... Swedish granny, then you would have seven varieties. But if you're just a regular person, uh, people tend to go for the buns. Okay. But it, like biscuit-wise, if you go to like the bakeries, they usually have a whole variety. And like one of the favourites is like Hallongrotta, which means raspberry caves. So it's like a thumbprint cookie. Okay. Um, so you, you literally make a cookie dough and you stick your thumb in there and then you put a little bit of jam in the thumb print. print. So it's usually raspberry, do whatever you want. Um, then they do these really simple kind of, imagine like a deflated shortbread. Right. <laughs> sure, actually. Very, yeah. Or like, a, you know, less hard biscotti. Mm-hmm. So like a really buttery biscuit, um, which are like in diamond shapes um they do that and they do like whether it's a chocolate flavor one or a caramel flavor um uh what's another one? Oh, one of my favorites is the chocolate biscuit which is a chewy kind of macaron but mm. macaroon sorry so it's not like the oh, french the macaron almondy one, the yeah. almondy one and then you top that with like a fluffy uh, chocolate buttercream oh, and then buttercream. a f- Thin layer of chocolate on top, and then if you're really posh, you do a sprinkle of sea salt on top. Oh, sounds divine. <laughs> um, so, keeping on the topic of sweet things, mm. I love the, I think it's so sweet, the sweet <laughs> use of words there. Um, the Swedish tradition of, okay, pr- uh, my pronunciation is yeah. not great, Lordags. Saturday sweet. Yes. Can you exactly. tell us about that? Because it's a lovely little concept. Yeah, well, I think it's more of a health concept. So the Swedish government decided, I don't know when exactly, that people to encourage people to eat healthier, that um, you should only have sweets on Saturday. And the Swedes love their sweets. Pick and mix. They usually have a huge selection. If you go to the Swedish supermarket, they have a whole mm. wall of pick and mix. Um, so the tradition is on Saturday, you will have um, like your pick and mix, your Lerdes Gordis. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not a big sweet fan. I'd rather have a bun. Yeah. But you do occasionally go get a pick and mix. But you usually see the kids with their parents on a Saturday doing that. Yeah, it's quite cute. Uh, it's cute. I thought that's a really nice idea. And I also, it's very Swedish in the idea that during the week, you just eat wholesome food. Yeah. And at the weekend, you have a treat. Yeah. And I think that's that whole Largon thing coming through, that mm-hmm. balance. There's nothing wrong with having a treat, having a bun, having a cake, having sweets. But it's a treat. So, yeah. Yeah, so if you, if you go to Sweden, if you're there on a Saturday, then you should go to the sweet shop and just kind of indulge in that little tradition. And Yeah, or get there early before the sweets run out. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I bet, actually. Didn't think of that. Yeah. Um, so enough about tradition. Yeah. At Olive, we're big fans of adapting with the times and creating new recipes with modern twists. And in your book, you include like lots of twists on Swedish recipes, don't you? So um, can you talk about some of your favourites? Yeah, so I mean, like... One of them I mentioned before was the vegetarian meatballs, which I make with a, with beans. I've done quite a few, like, vegetarian versions of traditional meat dishes. Like, there's beet a la Lindström, which is traditionally a beef a la Lindström. So it's a beef patty mixed with capers, onions, um, herbs, I think I've, beetroot. And I just do a beetroot one, um, which is mixed with, like, some crunchy hazelnuts. So... Um, I quite like 
I'm quite a flexitarian, so I'm quite open to consuming more vegetables and more plant-based yeah, dishes. Um, so I've done a lot of that kind of influence, like doing a little twist um, on the vegetarian side. Uh, so beet Ella Lindström is one of my favourites. I also do the Swedish stir-fry, which is a piti panna which is also like, it's a bit like a hash brown stir fry, but I do a complete vegetarian one. Again, so it's really colourful with loads of colourful vegetables, but there's a fried egg on top. You need your fried egg. That's (laughs) something very Swedish. They like a fried egg on things. Ah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Okay, so we don't have much time left, but um, I want to ask you a couple of things. Firstly, where are your favourite places to get a cinnamon bun in Stockholm it's a big question I know okay so I have three favorite favorite places there's uh Petrus oh yeah Yeah. absolutely Mm. big fan uh then there's Lilla Brawls Buggery which is a small bakery whereabouts Um, is that that is near St Eric's Garten um but they have all have Instagram which I follow religiously and I'm like (laughs) oh I really need to go for actually Fabrique in London yeah they every time they post something I show like my my friend at work I'm like look (laughs) (laughs) the buns so it's torture I know you don't want to see how much butter they put in their buns um and then another of my favorite excuse me favorites oh god there's a mag hang on rob robin de celsius if i'm no hang on i i always find his name hard to say but they're also very good and they actually all these bakeries do really good bread and that's something i think people don't know about sweden but Mm -hmm. they have a great kind of the hardy breads like sourdough and rye and obviously they have the knäckebröd which is mm. the swedish crackers which i love you know um with the rye flour the sourdough kind of really crunchy it you just feel so if you have it for breakfast you just feel like oh i'm so healthy but then i slather <laughs> yeah. it with butter and there's a way that makes everything better it does <laughs> yeah i know that line from somewhere <laughs> They say there's, depending on how you butter your knecker bird, it tells you who, you, what kind of person you are. Oh. Should I explain why? Yeah, what are the different ways of... Okay. I'm, yeah. You, you wouldn't have known. I learned this <laughs> when I moved to Sweden. So knecker bird has like a really bumpy side. Yes. And a smoother side. Yes. That's kind of almost got little grooves. Yeah. So one side is super bumpy. Mm-hmm. It's just the way they bake it. And one side is smoother. Okay. So if you butter the bumpy side, you get less butter. If you butter the smoother side, you have more butter. Yeah, so that's like, it on, yeah. Right. So if you like more butter in your life, you're like, well, they say that you're more um, gourmand. Okay. Yeah, more into enjoying the finer things in life. Right. Like, I definitely am yeah. a gourmand. Yeah, and you're not stingy as well. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because oh. like, if you're stingy, you know, if you're trying to be. Uh, careful with the amount of butter you use you do it on the other side interesting mm. so we should always if we like our butter we should butter our knocker bread on the smooth yes. side yeah you'll Good get a, a get a better butter uh, versus knocker <laughs> bread ratio man that was tongue a bit twister. of tongue right well speaking of tongue twisters yeah. um i've got a f- i've got 10 questions yes. for you okay i'm gonna fire them at you yeah and you've not prepared or you no. don't know what i'm gonna ask bring you. it on uh it's about swedish food and a yeah. little bit about french food okay and then finding out 
which you prefer. Oh, duh. I'm going to start a war between the French and Italians. (laughs) French and Swedes. So, French and Swedes. Have you got a little Italian book? No, I haven't. (laughs) Maybe that's what what I dream of. (laughs) Next. Next year. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so, ready? Yeah. Okay. Cardamom bun or cinnamon bun? Cardamom. Crayfish or cod? Crayfish. Swedish midsummer or Swedish Christmas? Midsummer. With your meatballs, macaroni or mash? Mash. Sweets or biscuits? Biscuits. Stockholm or Gothenburg? Stockholm. Stockholm or Paris? Oh, Stockholm. <laughs> Ooh. Pan au chocolat or croissant? Pan au chocolat. Cinnamon bun or pan au chocolat? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to say answer. cinnamon bun. Ooh. Um, French baguette or Swedish knackerbrod? Knackerbrod. And then Sweden or France? Sweden for my life now. Yeah. Gosh, Sweden definitely won in those. Yeah. You did your cinnamon bun and your pan au chocolat. You you didn't ask (gasps) Swedish winter versus French winter. Right. Yes, that's where France would have won. Yes. Okay, so Swedish winter or French winter? Mm, French winter. (laughs) And then Swedish food shopping versus French food shopping. French. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot of things which are great in Sweden, but there are a lot of things which are great in France. Yes. So it's, and that's why I say Sweden for my life now is amazing. But France, like living in Paris, I lived there for eight years. Mm. It was great for my life back then. So it's hard to compare it sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll say um, Swedish wins now. Yeah. And then Paris is still there in your heart. Exactly. That sounds so cheesy. I know it is. But you've got to be a bit cheesy with Paris, (laughs) though. Of course. So I think that's all we've got time for, I'm afraid. Um, But thanks for chatting to us. And if you guys want to make Rachel's Swedish recipes for yourself and also delve into her idyllic Swedish life, then you can pick up her book, The Little Swedish Kitchen, from from where? Well, (laughs) most bookshops, um, easiest is probably online yeah. so yeah it's out now yeah great taxamuka is the oh. swedish say yes uh, <laughs> yes we <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> hello and i am here to chat to shi tang who is the chairwoman of the chinese food festival which is taking place from friday the 31st of august till sunday the 2nd of september so how did the chinese food festival start Four years ago, my partner and I realized there were so many food and cultural festivals in London, uh, like Japanese, uh, Malaysia, Korean, uh, Indonesia, extra. But there's no Chinese one. So we thought uh, it's necessary to introduce real Chinese food to the world in the capital city. So the theme for this year is night markets. So how do you how do you decide on the theme? Um, the night markets in China are amazing places to explore and we tried our best to recreate this feeling in London. One of our vendors is from Wuhan region in central China. There is a unique smell that floats around the streets of the river town called Zhuichan, which translates as mouse drool. And this year we will welcome Wuhan market most popular dish, um, Wuhan chili oil braised crayfish. Just follow your nose and you will find it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that (laughs) so um each of the vendors represents a different part of china from central to southwest so how does the food differ between the regions 
Generally, it differs from history and the way people cook. For example, Shanxi province in North China is a landlocked area. This area is traditionally does not grow rice, only wheat. So there, this means uh, that they use bread and wheat noodles in their dishes. They also have fondness of using meat in their cooking. Um, Shanxi signature dish will be served at the festivals such as Shanxi beef burgers and Shanxi biang biang noodles. Oh, that sounds exciting. So can you talk us through a few of the vendors and the unique dishes that they can offer? Yeah, of course. Um, this year, we firstly have three vendors from Taiwan. Okay. Um, they are Yifang. Yifang is famous for their teas made with fresh fruits and no added sugar. They also have serving grass tea, and this is really unusual and a must to try. And the second one is Jaba, served uh, their uh, traditional Taiwan Taiwan street food, if you like um, fried chicken, so this is delicious. And the third one is Whale Cake Island. They are making popular Taiwanese dessert, which is cooked in front of you, and is a soft, fluffy pancake cooked to order and filled with sweet fillings. Oh, they sound intriguing. So have you had Taiwanese vendors before? Uh, no. No, that's no. new for this year. Yeah. Are there any are there any dishes that you're really excited about that people can try at the festival this year? Yes, the first is I think I I want to try them all actually. <laughs> yeah, me but too. The the, re, the one I want to introduce to everyone is the liu xiaomian. Uh, this one is from my hometown Chongqing. Okay. So the their signature dish is sliced pork uh, Chongqing noodles with chickpeas. Yeah, Ooh. it's very spicy and you can feel the chili oil is very hot. And is that like a street food snack um, in China? No, I think pe- um, people in my hometown, they eat um, for the three meals. Okay. Yeah. And which part of China is that from? It's southwest, southwest. near the Yangtze River. Okay, amazing. And the second one I want to introduce to people is the Yun. Um It's the Yunnan Crossbridge rice noodles. Uh, mm-hmm. They are very... Um, delicious and have um, over 10 toppings you can choose from. Oh, wow. And how do they differ from other noodles? It's made of uh, rice, firstly. Right. Uh, Yeah, it's not the belt. It's not made from the flowers. It's from the uh, rice. Oh, amazing. So along with eating, are there any other activities taking place? Yes, uh, we have Lake Chinese Kitchen. Um, we have It's free, totally free, so people can come and do the steamed chicken bun with mm. pickled vegetables. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's for people just come down and uh, put your name and for one of the sessions. Another activity is the Han culture. So we have people to do the Han Handful closing performances and people visitors can visit and try the hand makeup experience oh wow that sounds interesting and so in general the festival i think people have an expectation they think they know what chinese food is but is this festival here to show people another side of that Yes, I think um, in England, people used to think Chinese food are from Cantonese or spicy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we try to bring the Chinese food is from different areas of China. So we have eight cuisines, main cuisines around China, depends on different regions and different ingredients and different uh, cooking methods. 
And does the food differ dramatically between those regions? Um, yes, because China has a very, yeah, very, it's a very big place. True. Yeah, and we have like for southwest people often eat spicy food. Mm. Uh, along the um, sea coast, people used to um, eat some uh, fishes from the river and the sea. Okay, so it's totally different. And. Are there any other delicacies that we haven't mentioned? Any other specific dishes that you really think people should know about from China? I think uh, I think there are more and more popular of the jianbing, um, which we have okay. the vendor called uh, Pleasant Lady. They offer the jianbing from Tianjin province. Okay. But they recreate it with some uh, special fillings. And so what is that? Can you explain what that is? To uh, us? Basically, it's uh, egg and flour uh, pancake. Right. So the filling they have is cumin lamb Ooh. or ivory pork oh, or vegetable choices. Okay, and then it's just stuffed in the wrap. Yeah, thing. it's very big. It's only six pounds, and oh wow, it's like a meal. <laughs> it's like a full full meal. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for that. I feel like we've all learned a lot about the Chinese food festival. And if you want to visit, it's at London's Potter's Field Park, um, Friday the thirty first to Sunday the second of September. So thank you so much. Thank you. So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our brand new September issue on the newsstand now or go download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat. <laughs>